minds to you. Lord, you are worthy of all praise, of all adoration for what you have done for us in your Son. How he has came, you sent him to redeem us, Lord, and we are, we are thankful. We offer you the sacrifice of praise from our lips and from our hearts. And Father, as we turn to your word, I pray that you would speak, Lord, I pray that our hearts would hear your voice and that we would be encouraged, that we would be built up, that we would see you and behold you as God who is our refuge and that we would take shelter in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 20 from verse 1 down to verse 6. From verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of those cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the, into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hands, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is the high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled. I remember hearing uh, a sermon when I, when I had just been converted and came to the Lord. I heard a sermon on this, and, and it was a good sermon but the emphasis was that this city of refuge was a metaphor for the church and that the church was God's, God's refuge, you know. Um, and there's truth to that. You know, we should be a refuge. We should be a place of shelter for the broken, uh, for the depressed, for, for those who are under, under pain and, and all manner of, of, of infirmity. We should be a refuge for everyone who comes. But I would, I would say there's a much deeper and more, more fulfilling meaning here. Not that so much the church is the city of refuge, but that Christ is the true refuge. You know, I would say that this is just another shadow, another type, another metaphor of what Christ would come and do in his great work of salvation. That he would make a way in which sinners can take refuge from the Avenger. Now, so just to quickly look at this, we'll set the background. Can anyone hear that? There's like a knee. What's happening? Vera? <laughs> Is that better? <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. So, just to set the background, because this, this whole avenger of blood is going to probably be quite foreign to us in the culture that we come from. 
Now, in, in the Middle East, around this time, around this area, and even today, there is a uh, practice of avenging blood, which is basically, if one man kills another man, the man who has died, his family will take it upon themselves to avenge the death of their son or brother. They would basically gather their whole tribe, their whole family, and go on a manhunt till they find this guy and, and basically kill him and avenge his blood. And that's, that's, that was prevalent in, in the society, what, in the culture where Joshua was writing now. And even still today, much of the wars in the Middle East are just tribal wars from long ago where one person killed another person and they've just always been killing each other. And, you know, if you're killing one and killing one, how are you ever going to reach, reach peace? It's not going to happen. But here God set up in his mercy and in his wisdom and grace, he set up cities of refuge for people who had killed another man unknowingly, without intent. Um, who, it says here, who had not hated him in the past. And um, he had set up these cities of refuge so that they could, uh, an Israelite could flee to this city, present their case, prove their innocence, and they would be safe in this city from the avenger of blood. They wouldn't be able to be touched. And by this, God secured a way in which innocent blood was not shed. And, you know, I was, I was reading a, um, a, a post or a post about basically how, how Christians are viewing their Old Testament and how they're, you know, there's so much attack on the Old Testament. The devil attacks the scripture so much. If he can disprove that, if he can disprove Genesis, then he's basic, you know, the, the gospel begins, the gospel is in every book. And so if he can disprove one, he's, he's in a sense disproving them all. And for many believers, we don't see the, the, the importance or the necessity of the Old Testament. Um, you know, it's got, the, it's got the, the slaughter of the Canaanites or, you know, a literal creation, six days. What is it? We don't know. And this causes many believers, I believe, to not give it the study and the, and the effort that it deserves. But like I was saying last week, that in Hebrews 10, it tells us that the... the, the the stories, the characters of the Old Testament are pictures leading to their fulfillment in Christ. That the Old Testament, in a sense, prepares the way for Christ. As rain, uh, as rain waters the ground, waters the soil for the farmer to plant his seed, the Old Testament should water our hearts so that the seed of Christ can be embedded and grow. And here we have that. In the wisdom of God, we have a type, a shadow of what God would do in Christ. But because it's a shadow, there's a difference. In here, the refuge appointed in, in ancient Israel, it was for the innocent. It was for those who were not guilty, who had killed a man by accident. But now, Christ has given a refuge, not for the innocent, but for the guilty. Not for those who don't see their guilt, but for those who see their guilt. Not for those who acknowledge only mistakes and, and accidents, but no, those who are, have nothing, who have come to the end of their self, see their guilt, see their evil, see what they've done and have nowhere to flee. God has set up a refuge for them. So this type and shadow does not portray the full saving work that Christ would give us. But it's, it's, it's a wonderful revelation. It's a wonderful type and a shadow just to, to, that God has, has done this, given us a refuge. And... Another comparison would be that, like I was saying, it's, it's a refuge for the guilty. It's not a refuge for 
those who only acknowledge their mistakes. You know, a lot of, a lot of that thinking is in many believers that, um, you know, our sins are not really sins, they're mistakes. And, 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 you know, we may blame our past and things that happened to us. And it's true, these things do affect us. But at the same time, at the end of the day, we are accountable for the things we do. At the end of the day, the evil that we have done, God is going to hold us accountable, not someone else. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of himself, not someone else on your behalf. And the avenger, the avenger in, in, in this metaphor, we would say, was a man. But the avenger, the true avenger, is what? It's, it's, God's, it's God's law. It's God's penalty against sin. You know, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, if we understand that we are all born under the law, and we have all broken that law. I don't, I, no one will stand up here and say that they have not transgressed one way or another. We have all done that. So therefore, the penalty of the law abides on all of us. And it's a sober thought, but we can't hide away from these truths. The scripture is clear that cursed is every man who does not abide in the law. Whoever's broken a law is under a curse. And that's the nature of the law. It's to expose our sin. The law was never given to save, as, as Paul makes clear in Romans 3 and in Galatians, uh, in, in the book of Romans from chapter 1 to 3 and in Galatians, that the law was given for the purpose of exposing our sin and showing us a need for a saviour. It was not for establishing our own righteousness, but preparing the way for Christ's righteousness to be received. It was a schoolmaster to bring us to faith. Its purpose was to expose sin and to show us our need for Christ and a need for a true refuge, a spiritual refuge. And this, this reality that, that the penalty is, is death, it's, it's all in our conscience one way or another. We all know this, and humanity is always closing their eyes to this reality. You know, I was reading again about how they want to merge robots and humans so that we can live longer and, and survive longer and, and that we won't age and that this and that. And there's this whole, our society is just built around closing our eyes to the reality that this curse in the law, death is real. God says, a, a man shall die once, then comes the judgment. That's our appointment. And the devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers that we don't perceive this. They don't perceive this. They just close their eyes to this reality and just live and just say, well, when it comes, I'll deal with it. But this is a reality. And this is an eternal destiny. And if we had any part of soberness within us, we would want to resolve this. We would want to give peace to our minds that when we come to our death, surprisingly or shortly, however it comes, we know where we're going. So the law magnifies the holiness and the justice of, justice of God. It pronounces, it, it comes as an avenger for those who have broken it. And, and an illustration just to um, kind of force this point, you can imagine in, in, in the Old Testament times here, um, just say there was, there was two men on a farm and, and one of them is swinging his pick and he's, and he's picking the ground, and, he's, and, he's, and his friend's there, and basically, 
he looks around, he's not concentrating, he swings his pick, he looks the other way, and boom, the pick hits his friend, his friend's laying on the floor there and dies. He's standing there thinking, oh no, what have I done? Before he can do, any, do anything, he sees the man, the man that he's just killed, he sees his family coming from a distance. And he sees anger on their face, and they begin running up to him. Before he can say anything, he sees them going for their swords to, to kill him. So what's he going to do? He's just thinking, I need to flee to the city of refuge. So he begins to flee, he begins to run. He's running, running. He knows that the city is just in a distance. He can see it. But as he looks behind, he can see the crowd growing. His cousins are joining. His brothers are joining. His life is on the edge. And he's fleeing, fleeing. He sees the city. He runs, jumps, comes to the gate and says, look, pronounce it, gives his case and they let him in. And he's, and he's come to safety. And you can just imagine that the intensity of that scenario And we who have come to Christ, I mean, for myself, I can remember the night. I can remember the time I fled to Christ for refuge. You know, I remember coming to God, crying to God, saying, God, have mercy upon me, this sinner. I remember realizing compared to Christ's righteousness, I have nothing, nothing to offer, nothing to give. That I had broken God's law and in God's justice and in God's love and holiness, I deserve judgment I deserve the penalty of the law the penalty which is hell the scripture is clear Jesus is clear but at the same time though I remember being in that, that dark place of just conviction and not knowing what to do and, and, and trying to resolve this and thinking what do I do I remember saying to my friend you know what do I do how do I get out of this situation and I remember he just telling me the, the gospel. And I remember he just, you know, he didn't tell it very well. He just said, look, Jesus, Jesus has died. You know, if you come to faith in him, you'll be saved. And that was enough. I was like, is, you know, is, is that all I have to do? Just receive this. And he was like, yeah, you just need to receive the gift. You pray this prayer and you're saved. And I, and I remember doing it. And it was just wonderful, the light that God shined in my heart. Um, in Hebrews 6, let me actually turn a few minutes, come to my mind. In Hebrews 6, from verse 17, it says, it says, um, yeah, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we, have, we, who, have fled to, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So that same type of language is used here. Uh, the Hebrew writer uses here, we who have fled to Christ, we who have fled for refuge, have a strong hope set before us. And you have to ask, what was it that was protecting the men and women who would have fled to this city? 
You know, it was just a normal city. It was not the barricades. It was not the army. It was not the defences. It was because it was God's appointed refuge. That's what kept them safe and that alone. And today, this day, God's appointed refuge is Christ. God's appointed refuge is Christ. And if you come to him, when we come to him, we are safe. He brings us in. He shelters us. He takes care of us. He takes care of us. He is the refuge that God has given us. And there we are safe from the law. Why? Because Jesus met the avenger for us. Jesus met the law on the cross, took its penalty, bore our sins, died and rose. And he said it was finished. And that means it is finished. It has been done. And we are safe from the accuser. There's no fiery dart that Satan can throw at us that can take us out of this refuge. You know, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the metaphor in the Old Testament, once the high priest died, the person would go home. But our high priest doesn't die. Our high priest gave his offering once for all, but now lives forever. So that means we are safe forever. This is our home. Once we come to Christ, we are eternally changed. We are eternally new. He gives us a new identity, a new hope, a new life. And, you know, that is, as it says in the scripture in Hebrews 6, that we may lay hold of the hope set before us. And that is the encouragement that I, I, that I wanted to give to, to you, Lord, and to myself, that we would just continue to cling to Christ as our refuge. There's nothing more satisfying to the soul to see God as your refuge, all his resources, who he is, everything that he is protecting us, sheltering us, guarding us, that we are in a state of being untouchable. Greater is he who is in us than in the world. And, you know, we, we come into this refuge when we first come to this refuge, we become as sinners. But what does he do? He makes us saints. He completely changes our identity, completely changes who we are. And we are eternally safe in his arms and in his hands forever. So, Father, I thank you for your word and your truth. Father, I thank you that you have given your son to be a refuge for us that we can take refuge in him. And that as we look in your word, the old, uh, the old covenant, we see these, these types, these shadows that point to the bigger and more true reality, the spiritual reality. And I pray, Father, that every one of us here who have fled to Christ, that we would continue to cling to him, that we would not leave the shelter that he had provided for us, that we would not leave the safety, that we would see him as all-sufficient. Father, I pray that your word would be living and active. And that though we be like jars of clay who hold a treasure, that your treasure would shine forth and that your power would be known. In Jesus' name, amen.